You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Emilia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In this episode, we have Richard Robert Santiago, a graduate of the Trio Talent Search Program and Trio Upward Bound Program. Richard is on the program to discuss his experiences and life experiences, college journey, and words of wisdom he would like to share with TRIO students and staff. So it was a wonderful experience having Richard on the program. Richard is a Talent Search alum of La Universidad del Tarubo uh, from Puerto Rico. So we are very fortunate to have him so he can talk about um, his experiences in TRIO and how that all shaped his desire to go to college. So, uh, And we talked about uh, a variety of issues. Uh, I think we took the first half of the program to really talk about uh, social justice issues and the difficulty people have to talk about those issues without having being ha- without it being right a, 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 an issue. And I think he brought up a really good point. Um, one that I'm going to take a moment here to address is wh- wherever you fall in the political spectrum, uh, I have a great respect for people who are able to articulate and talk to us about their ideas and and their ideologies, but um, but for me, it boils down to this. And again, this is no matter where you fall in the, in the political spectrum. It's the human decency and the respect people deserve while they have this time on earth. Not to make it right harder than it needs to be. And I think that gets lost in the message. Uh, when we talk about police brutality, it's pitting two groups saying, well... Uh, police officers uh, risk their lives every day. We we understand that. It is a very risky job, and police officers should be commended for uh, doing what they need to do to make sure that they, to keep the peace. However, police officers are not assigned to execute civilians at will. I understand there's rules of engagement. There are rules for how a person approaches another person and whether they deem them a threat. I think we've seen far too many times uh, black people getting killed for everyday things, whether it's going back to their vehicle 
getting a license and registration, whether it's putting their hands up, jogging in the park, jogging through your neighborhood, playing in your own backyard or front yard, that we've seen these instances play out too many times. So for me, it again, we need to be articulate. We need to certainly listen to each other and figure out what we mean when we say things. I think the, uh, the argument for Black Lives Matter and the extreme of All Lives Matter is, it's unconscionable to me. When we talk about Black Lives Matter, it's giving that respect. It's saying these lives matter too. We understand that all lives matter. Whether, whether you're on whatever side you're on on the political spectrum, we know that all lives matter. But there are a segment of the population that is suffering right now. And we're not doing any justice by watering down the argument and by shutting out the conversation. So Richard and I really delved into that in the first half of the podcast. Uh, so typically we try not to get too political here in the, uh, on the Let's Talk Trio podcast, but because Let's Talk Trio is a podcast dedicated to the programs that help students and to address the uh, social inequities that exist in our society, we felt it necessary to have that conversation. So we, I made the choice to leave the conversation in there because it needs to be addressed, right? We don't want to water down any arguments. We don't want to... Um, we don't want to vilify each other anymore. I think when we start doing that, we lose our humanity. When I vilify a person and tear them down to the to to less than a subhuman, then I'm not I'm not being humanistic. Same goes for people who tear down. Uh, the protesters and say they're they're less than subhumans. In, in the recent uh, 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 event that happened with a with with the protest in in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it's unfortunate. We had a vigilante gun down two people, and I can't. We can't call him a vigilante. I'm sorry, we can't. Vigilante justice is is seeking justice for justice, right? Eye for an eye. That wasn't the case here. There was this was a person playing soldier, taking lives. Let's leave it at that. So I want to thank Richard for taking the moment to address those issues and being on the podcast to talk about it. I think we are too shy at times as a society to really sit down with the other side, hear them out. And I think we've become entrenched in our tribal ideals. As liberal as I am, and I will tell, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm very liberal uh, when it comes to uh, social issues and the economy. And I have conservative friends who talk to me about the economy and how money works and how ultimately, right, we need a good balance of social programs that save people or at least help people. But we also need, uh, th if we want to keep a system that 
is able to be equitable, then we need to look at capitalism and say, how can we make that more accessible for everyone? So I just wanted to take a moment off that. I'll jump off the soapbox and just say I was very happy to have uh, Richard on the on the podcast. He was really passionate. You could you could really hear in his voice the talk about the social justice issues and and the inequities that we have in society. But more more than anything, I loved talking to him about the the trio programs and how it's has helped shape, shaped him and his education. So coming up in just a bit, Richard Robert Santiago, trio alum of Talent Search. Remember, if you would like to be on the podcast, you can send us a message via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us a direct message. I'd like to take a second to thank our podcast sponsors, Student Access and Angelica Villalpando for sponsoring the podcast. We thank you all so much for your continued support. You too can be a sponsor of the podcast. Head on over to Kickstarter. We're currently in our Kickstarter campaign. Please donate any dollar amount. We're trying to get to $40,000. If we do not reach that amount... We forfeit any money that we have raised at this, at this point. Um, as of this recording on 8-27-2020, we have raised $200. We would like to reach the $40,000 before September 19th. So head on over to Kickstarter. Donate any dollar amount. Anyone donating $5 or more gets a Let's Talk Trio decal. If you'd like to be a monthly sponsor, you can head on over to Patreon. Search for Let's Talk Trio. And... Pick a donor level. Any membership level works. Uh, you can donate $1 a month. It'll be a continued uh, monthly charge until you tell them to stop. But you can sponsor us for $1 a month or up to $50 a month. For car for corporate sponsors, we do have two options. You can donate $50 a month. So become a monthly donor of $50 a month for companies. And we will uh, give your name, uh, your company name a shout out on the podcast. If you want to purchase airtime, that's $100 a month. And we, you your ad will appear for all the episodes that we published for that specific month that you're sponsoring us. So again, that's over at Patreon. Uh, again, we have different uh, membership levels. Select one that best suits you and know that this is a monthly support for us. So this episode with uh, Richard Robert Santiago, again, very good episode. So we hope you enjoy. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Uh, count back from five, four, three, two, one. Hi, Trio Nation. My next guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is a senior construction analyst for GSA in Chicago, Illinois, has a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the Universidad de Turabo in mechanical engineering, a master's degree in engineering management specialized in construction management from La Universidad Politécnica de Puerto Rico. He is a Trio Talent Search alum from La Universidad de Turabo, is a math science Upward Bound summer program alum from Buffalo State College in 2002, Upward Bound math science summer program alum from New Jersey Institute of Technology in 03, and he's currently married, has a wife that he brought over from Puerto Rico and a four-year-old daughter, uh, very into home improvement projects and has very, uh, a lot of time, uh, but uh, <laughs> Richard, uh, let me know, like, so your wife gets anxious whether or not you complete these uh, DIY projects? Correct. Uh, every time I tell my wife about, hey, I want to do this at home and I want to self-perform it. I don't want to hire anybody. I can do it. You know, I'm the macho man. I know how to do it. I saw, I saw a YouTube video and I'm ready for it. Yeah, sometimes it comes good. Sometimes it doesn't come as well. That's why she's so anxious. Why? Why don't we reevaluate the situation and hire somebody to do it for us? 
So yeah, I mean, sometimes it hit or miss. I try to do the effort and then if it doesn't come out okay, I'll tear it out and then just say, yeah, baby, you were right, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I want to welcome officially Ro- Richard Robert Santiago to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Richard, awesome introduction and welcome to the podcast. No, uh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity for, for participating here in this podcast. I think I'm very happy to be you know, here uh, representing uh, as a living testimony of how the TRIO programs impacted my life and how they have impacted the life of others. And I think I'm just one little, very small success story within the many success stories that have been around uh, via the TRIO programs. And I think that's a benefit. And uh, for me, I'm, I'm more than humbled to be one of the participants in this podcast. Well, we thank you so much. I know uh, you being a very busy person. I know earlier in the podcast, before the show started, you were saying uh, you were taking some annual leave. Yeah, I'm taking some annual leave because I would like to dedicate the time to the podcast that is necessary and not having to interject with meetings or any any disruption. So uh, probably my four-year-old will come around and you're going to see her on video, most likely when she comes uh, on board. My wife took her to Chick-fil-A because I mean, she wanted chicken. She wanted chicken nuggets. So my wife said, oh, I'm going to leave you alone. (laughs) <laughs> so that you can do your podcast and then if she comes back you might see her later oh that's great well, yeah we welcome cameos especially from significant others and from children as well so we welcome those cameos. that's awesome um, yeah, not, not a problem <laughs> so how's your life in chicago uh, slash kenosha wisconsin it's a lot of things so interesting have... enough i work in chicago illinois which is 50 yeah. miles uh south of where i live in kenosha wisconsin mm-hmm. right now as you might know historically kenosha is going through some tough times regarding the situation that we had on a uh, a case that's being investigated right now with a police officer an event about a, an officer involved shooting that has uh awakened a, a, a mass rioting uh events and and we kind of know what the news are. And I mean, the past three or four nights have been a little bit daunting, you know, from a safety standpoint, a lot of rioting, a lot of business, small business owners have paid the price uh, of the backlash of the situation about a, a member of the African-American community being shot by a police officer. And I think those are things that we long-term have to talk about. We need to uh, avoid the skim and the skin of the, of the cat. And we really have to deep dive into the situation and talk the things in black and white. We really need to address the situations as they are coming. Uh, the institutional racism has to be talked about. It cannot be skimmed down or undermined. Same thing with the discrimination with our with our side of the things, Hispanic communities. Mm-hmm. We also need to talk about that. Uh, and those are things that are flourishing. And I, that tells you that there's a generation that it's demanding change. Uh, whether we debate of the right or wrong way of doing it, I think that's a side of the subject. But I think we as leaders, we need to engage in a more definitive approach in the way that we're interjecting with our social uh, communities in the way that we need to start talking about the situation a, a little bit more descriptively rather than trying to skin the cat and pretend that everything is all right. Because you and I can agree that not everything is all right. And we really need to address the situation sooner than later. Otherwise, we're not gonna get to a common ground. And at the end of the day, we need to strike for peace. And that should be the, the end goal. And striving for peace, meaning addressing the situation as it is and not just undermining it. And that's just the bottom line. Absolutely. I think it's a very heavy conversation when we talk about social justice and what does it mean totally. uh, uh, when we're talking about discrimination and all that, right? But it's, it shouldn't discourage us to talk about these items and to bring it to no, the forefront. not at all. Yeah. So uh, excellent point that you're bringing there, Richard. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up and for 
so eloquently to, uh, outlining it and how to we really need as a society really need to confront that that issue yeah unfortunately we need to avoid the, the us versus them approach and we need to talk about us that is the only way that we're actually going to get to a common ground the situation I, is that we are so socially polarized mm-hmm. that we definitely need to come to a common ground and hey at the end of the day If you want to look at it from a religious, from a social perspective, those are our, our brothers. Even if you're looking at it from a patriotic way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just let's 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 get out of the religious picture and let's talk about just the fact of being a nation. Do mm-hmm. you really want to be so combative that you want to look at it like you're you go to your bullpen and I'm going to stay there and I'm going to stay in my lane mm-hmm. and we're not we're going to pretend that you do not exist? That doesn't work that way. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, we're going to end up interjecting in some place in some form in some shape so we need to find a way to make it work absolutely i think uh, you touched on a great point there that uh lately our politics have become so divisive and so uh, very much so that uh, we cannot really talk about politics it used to be a joke right like oh you don't bring up politics uh at the, the thanksgiving dinner table but now it's you don't bring up politics at all you you can't talk about politics because at all you start becoming right this is this is a tribal system that we've uh, kind of developed uh, in our conversations with with others is uh, we can't talk about politics because it's too sensitive or maybe people get too heated uh, and then when we t- when we when we talk about social justice it's like you can't really have one without the other you have to talk about politics and policies without uh, and not expect to right uh, to have that conversation. So for, for us, I know, thank you, Richard, again, for, for bringing that up because I know we're living in a, in an age where, uh, science is questioned, uh, where social justice, uh, takes a different meaning for everybody. And we are still trying to figure out an identity for all of that. Yeah. And, and we really need to get out of the the, the bubble and we we need to, and we need to think outside the box about how can we create better alliances to try to make everybody feel welcome and didn't, stop that approach stop the the you versus i approach yeah and start talking about together and and take a community perspective uh, i think that is the uh that is a philosophical solution that we can find to the matter long term we need to coexist and coexistence does not happen without respect and i think that's going to be a pillar we need to respect ourselves and we need to respect others and we can defer without not loving without without having to hate each other absolutely and and that that is key i mean we have to assume a posture in which we are welcoming to other races to other people that do not think like we do and we can defer without having to stop to love us ourselves you know absolutely. we can we can love the other without having to necessarily have the same point of view Right. And that, that at the end of the day, is, it's what's going to bring us back to our senses as a community, as a society. And whatever your perspective is, if you're more conservative, more liberal, or you're in the middle, like some of us, that we, uh, we kind of have a blend of ideas where we don't identify necessarily with the left or the right or with the up or the down or with the north or the south. At the end of the day, we are one nation. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's the way it has to work. And, and I don't see any way around it. 
Well, again, Richard, thank you so much for bringing that up. I think uh, with a lot of conversations surrounding social, social justice and, and discrimination and also police brutality, it's, it's good to hear that this is something that you're thinking about and something in the forefront for you that it, it concerns for sure. you. It, Absolutely. Yeah, it, it touches home, you know, and, and sometimes you're, you're like, ah, that's far away in Chicago, Milwaukee. Now it's in my city. Yeah. On a hundred thousand dollar, a hundred thousand people city. Yeah. Yeah. Small so, city. It got, it, it hit, it hits, it hits home. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I, I think if it hits home, I, I, I woke up and I, and I think about it and we have a responsibility. Absolutely. Of either, of either taking a, a leader position or supporting the guys who, who you think are going to be adequately addressing the situation. And I think, uh, we, we need to start thinking about ways that we can uh, support the efforts and try to get a resolution to the matter. Absolutely. Agreed. Uh, speaking of home and speaking of where your heart is, uh, you live in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, how has life been uh, since the pandemic? How, how, have you, how have you and your family adjusted or adapted? So the, the funny part is that it, it went from, I teleworked from home like three days a week and just went to Chicago two days a week. Uh -huh. So it's like having five days a week of telework. But now with the complicating factor of having my daughter full time at home, complicating factor because obviously she's going to have coursework and that's how the pandemic has gone in the past three months before the summer break took over. Yeah. And my wife was also working. So it was kind of tough, like trying to reorganize the schedule. I had to work first shift then my wife to started working at nights and that's the way we could flip and flop. Uh, regarding uh, and just making it work. So uh, for those parents that are listening to the podcast at this point, I think it's interesting because I think you can relate to what we've been through in the pandemic because, I mean, we were blessed and lucky that both of us were able to keep our jobs, but not everybody else had the same blessing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I feel for those parents that were not able to keep their jobs, that were, they were laid off. And, uh, but in our case, uh, I mean, we, 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 we complained a little bit about it, but then we started thinking, hey, I think we have a major blessing here and, mm -hmm. and we just need to make it work. And how we made it work is, can you work at night? And then sometimes we flipped over. She had a meeting in the morning. I worked in afternoons, which we okay. had the flexibility of doing it. But everything has been inside of a home. And I don't think I'm going back into the office until maybe January. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so that's what it looks like for you right now. Yeah, for, for me right now, I don't think I'm going back into the office because I, 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 I am not necessarily an essential worker. I'm mm. more of an what they call an overhead worker, even <laughs> though I have a, a major responsibility. Yeah. I can do all my functions remotely, which yeah. is, I mean, it's kind of good. Yeah. So I'm able to sit here and talk to you and just uh, be at my home, but not everybody else has the same benefit, you know. True. True. So during this time, there's this time of pandemic, I, I've, I've talked to various TRIO staff and TRIO alum and TRIO students and asked them, what have they learned about themselves or what are they learning? What skills have they picked up during the pandemic or during the time that they were quarantined? So actually, I was able to refinish my basement. Uh, oh, really? We had some water. Yeah, we had some water issues and like we were able to set up my wife's shop. So that's my wife's shop there. Oh, nice. She has her computer and we do custom t-shirts and everything. So we own our business. Oh, so wow, we have a press nice. back there. Uh, I think I disconnected my HDMI cable. One second. <laughs> Let's go back online. I, I still second. see you and we still, we still. We oh, still I just it. lost my Zoom meeting. Okay. Oh, okay. Now, there you are. Let me remove this. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my basement. So I finished that. I put the LVT flooring on the oh, floor. Wow. So I self-perform everything that. It took me like eight months, you know, 
between the time of, um, I mean, because a waterproofing job had to go through several, several warranty visits and everything. So mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure the floor wasn't leaking, leaking and the basement wasn't <laughs> leaking before I started doing an investment to try to make it look pretty, you know? Yeah. Well, it looks so, great. I mean, oh, thank you. So yeah, that's one of the projects I did in the pandemic. Uh, what other things did I do in the pandemic? Oh, play a lot more with my daughter. Oh, that's I was good. able to not have that two hour and a half commute that I typically have when I go into the office. I mean, Chicago is pretty, it's 50 miles, so I don't drive it. Yeah. I take the train and then, yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up, you know, having more time with my daughter, even though not all the places were open. I mean, luckily in Wisconsin, the lockout, the lockdown didn't last that long. It was only mm -hmm. like a month and a half. I mean, uh -huh. right off in May, we were pretty much open at the end of May. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a benefit, but I mean, you're still scared about going places or fearful about going to a restaurant or going outside and, you know, and, oh, oh don't wear a mask. That doesn't work. Or yeah, I'm going to wear my mask because I don't want to get condemned. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to pass it over to anybody. You know? Right. And then, so you have that also that political battle regarding the efficiency of masks, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the science versus the reason argument, yeah. you know, and, and that's kind of a, the logic behind the facts. So it's, that's very notorious here in this state. So, uh, the the anti-maskers and then the anti, <laughs> it's like the anti-vaccine anti uh, people, you know, that they deferred with the approach. So it's kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. I think that the, we've been able to, and, and it's sad to say, right, to politicize wearing a mask to protect others. And it, it doesn't register for me. I don't know. I am guessing I'm not understanding the other side's argument about uh, not yeah. wearing a mask. For me, yes, it makes uh, sense. It's like, yeah, wear a mask, uh, pr protect the other person. Uh, it's not just for my safety. It's for somebody else's safety too. Yeah. I mean, in my case, I decided to do myself and, and try not, not to, to argument about the matter with others. You know, mm -hmm. I, I wear mine and that's the way I'm going to be able to protect the others. Absolutely. Uh, if anybody else, I mean, if anybody else is not wearing a mask, I'm just going to stand out and I'm going to greet you from far away. <laughs> and that's, that's the way I'm going to, I'm going to be handling it. And everybody has their own judgment, you know, and, right, and at the right. same time, you know, there's other, other, other ways you're going to have to learn how to mitigate it. If you maintain well hygiene, then that's another component. Like the Absolutely. mask is not going to do anything if you're not maintaining uh, proper hygiene and things along those lines. So that's very interesting, you know, but yes, it is a controversial topic nowadays too. It, it just does not make sense to me, but I mean, not to, not to stay too longer on this point, but uh, I feel like it, you've probably watched the YouTube videos or the viral videos going on around yeah, all I mean, about people confronting yeah, non-maskers or people that are non-maskers yelling at the store. It, it just, it, it definitely at a different level. And uh, I think you and I have a similar approach is like, you know what, I'm going to take care of my, me and my family. I'm going to make sure that we're accountable. And whatever other people are doing, that's on them. But we're going to take all the precautions we can to do yeah. the social distancing and to wear the mask. Well, one of the things I fear for is like contaminating anybody else. You oh, know? Yeah. And, and I will feel totally terrible if somebody got sick because of my fault, because right. I didn't care, take care of myself. Yeah. It's kind of a suicidal approach. I see yeah. it in that way. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of suicidal. I mean, yeah. But that's just my perspective. You know, I mean, if anybody else that is hearing the podcast at first, then, you know, I respect, <laughs> yeah. I respect your point of view right. as well. So. Right. So, and again, not to, not to stay too long on a point, but uh, I think about the contact, the contact tracing, right? And when people are able to say, oh, you know, I was visiting with uh, so-and-so on this day and so-and-so on this day. I guess for me, it's like, I don't want it to get back to me, you know? Like, I don't want it like, sure. oh, I was the cause. Uh, so for sure, I, I agree with you on that end. Yeah, but, 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 you know, on the flip side, I also miss the time where we were able to go anywhere without 
Oh yes. Any without any 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 reservation, without any fear of getting contaminated or contaminating right. others. I miss that time. You know, that's 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 one of the things that I miss the most out of this pandemic. Yeah. The fact that of not not being able to go to my godmother's house or not being able to go back home to Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and, and and try to visit my family just because there's a fear that they're gonna get sick or that I'm gonna be taking the virus over there. Right. And and you know it's it's tough. You know. Yeah. And I hear you on that. And and speaking of Puerto Rico, which is a fabulous transition, uh, I, Richard, I want to take us uh, back all the way back to your origin story. Uh, can you tell us about what was it like growing up and talk, talk to us about kind of, yeah, just your overall origin story? So um, I was born in Caguas, Puerto Rico. For those of you who uh, don't know what Puerto Rico is, uh, I'm not going to say what President Trump said back in the day about Puerto Rico and like a big ocean and like a, a, an island with a big ocean. No, uh, Puerto Rico is located at the east of the Dominican Republic in the Caribbean islands. Uh, it is, uh, I was born in Caguas, Puerto Rico. That is 20 minutes south of the capital. It's kind of a suburb if we mm-hmm. transpose it to um, the U.S. language. It is a suburb of San Juan. Uh, it's a city around 140,000 people live there uh, within Caguas and the vicinities. Uh, I was born and raised there. Uh, I grew up with my, my mom uh, until I was like 10 years old. Uh, yeah, we were three uh, siblings. Uh, I'm the middle one. Uh, I had an older brother. I have, a, I, I have an older brother. I have a younger sister. And um, I grew up uh, uh, with my mother until I was 10 years old. When I was 10 years old, my mom got get sick and then my grandparents are the ones who take over. And obviously they're the ones who become our tutors uh, so that we can just keep going, you know, in life. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful for my grandparents taking me over. Uh, both my parents were from the Bronx, uh, my dad and my mom. Um, so they went over. I mean, my, my grandparents moved from the Bronx back to Puerto Rico in the 70s, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. My, my dad's family went first and then my mom's family went afterwards. And then they actually met in Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, but both of them are from the Bronx. So my mom used to be an English teacher. Uh, back in Puerto Rico, we fought before she got uh, sick and passed. So uh, my mom was the one who taught us the language and, and cable TV as well. You know, it was a combination of both factors. We were kind of the few kids that had cable TV back in our early, when I was five, six years old. <laughs> then cable TV pro- proliferated uh, uh, later in the 90s. Uh, but yeah, we, we, had, we had cable. That's how we learned uh, how to speak English, uh, even though I do have an accent. You might notice that. Uh, so growing up in the island was great. You know, uh, you were able to go outside 12 months a year. You're not, you don't have to worry about winter. Winter, I think around here in Wisconsin, it's like a hit or miss, you know, you could get a 90 degree temperature in, you know, September. And then the other day you got a 60 degree temperature a day. <laughs> That's what I hear. If, if there is something that I thought it was going to be better, I think it was snow. Mm, uh, yeah. Once I, once I had my first encounter where blizzard, I hate snow. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's 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 kind of it's kind of interesting so yeah growing up i i go and live with my grandparents like two years afterwards I, I i move with my grandparents and my siblings and my mother they they used to take care of my mother as well and we kind of shipped in uh well my dad my grandpa got diagnosed with cancer so that's i mean through middle school i started middle school back after my mom i mean i did sixth grade which is still elementary school in puerto rico and middle school is seventh eighth and ninth Mm-hmm. And then high school is 10th, 11th, and 12th. So back in middle school, I started getting more involved with everything. Because that was kind of my scapegoat of the situation I was living, you know, the tough time 
a lot of people in the home, very convoluted environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, school was a little bit of an escapade for me mm-hmm. to try to, you know, and, 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 you know, when you, when I look at it now, it, it kind of didn't make a lot of sense because I was getting like, I was like maybe to taking over participation from other kids that could have done the same thing that I did. Like mm. if there was an oratory contest, I was there. If there was a, if there was a spelling bee, I was there. <laughs> if there was a math contest, I was there. And, 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 and now that I look at it now, I, I mean, growing up and maturing mm-hmm. in, in the way I matured, I would have not done that and just had and spent more time maybe getting to know my peers a little bit better, which I kind of learned throughout my high school career. I see. Yeah. In high school, I, I, I shift the course and I try to understand better that, you know, relationships are going to take you farther than knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's profound. And, and, Yes, it is. And it is true. I mean, relationships are going to take you farther than knowledge. Mm -hmm. Because if you have relationships, knowledge is going to be an added value. Just getting to know them and respecting the individuals that you're interacting with is going to provide that knowledge. And that's something else that I'm going to discuss when we're talking about uh, the trio program and the mentors with the through the trio programs and how it works. That's going to be an interesting factor. Absolutely. But also that so, so, I mean, growing up in Puerto Rico, I lived in a blue collar community, uh, nothing fancy. I mean, but in reality it was blue collar, but we were kind of the poorest, one of the poorest uh, families in the, in the blue collar community. Cause I mean, it is a, you're, you have six, seven, eight people living in a home yeah. and, and you only have your social security income for your grandparents and the little pension that yeah. my mom used to win for what, five, six, year, six years of service in yeah. the education department in Puerto Rico. So not a lot of money. So. Uh, what I did out, out of school, I played basketball. I did play volleyball too in high school. I mean, mm-hmm. I was not great. I was more of a water boy than anything, but <laughs> that kept, kept me busy. You know, it kept me busy and I was kind of overweight. So I, I, I decided to, you know, later down the road when I was 23, 24 years old, uh, I decided to lose weight and that's how I look right now. So, well, you I look great, this, by the way, Richard. Yeah, but, thank yeah. you. So yeah, I decided to just make a, make a life change because it, it, otherwise I wasn't going to be able to make it and talk to you. If I yeah. kept going in the, in the lifestyle I was going through. So, cool. so yeah, I mean, that was kind of my background growing up in Puerto Rico um, uh, with the difficulties uh, and, uh, but it was a great life. You know, it was a great experience. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, I think it was great. I mean, and, and I, I received the support from my parents and my, my grandparents uh, with regards to what I did in my, in my, in my school and everything. Yeah. Were you always academically inclined? Uh, did you enjoy being in classes? Because I, you, you said earlier that you saw school as a way to escape. Sure, and, and I saw it that way. But in reality, I was lazy. I mean, and to be honest, I, I, and, and I was very lazy. I mean, lazy in the, the fact that, and, and I shouldn't say lazy, but I was sloppy. Uh, sloppy meaning that I didn't put a lot of effort into things because I was able to go into the classroom and then just, oh, yada, 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 yeah, basic. And then it, it came to the exam point. But keep in mind that in grade school, you get how many exams on a semester? 10? Oh, my gosh. 12, yeah, a lot. 13. Yeah. So uh, you get 13 exams. So the chances of flunking a class are very little. Mm-hmm. They're very little because if you get enough, you're still able to recover. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, and th- that's kind of the point. Like, okay, I took a hit at the beginning of the semester, then I straightened out and I put a little bit more effort. But beginning, the beginning of the courses, I mean, I was sloppy and I didn't really dedicate that much time. So my study habits were terrible. Mm. They were so terrible. And like, I prefer to go to play basketball rather than having to do my <laughs> assignments. So what happens at the 11th hour, I was always scrambling at the end of the semester to try to get the papers done. Right. 
So, <laughs> so I got to be honest. I, 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 I was, I, I, I kind of was academically inclined and everybody else saw that, ah, he, he does well in school, yada, yada, yeah. yada. But I really, yeah. you know, I, I really crunched to the 11th hour all the time. <laughs> that was the way I operated. And some of the stuff, like especially in literature in Spanish, I was terrible. Oh, yeah. I was and, super terrible in Spanish and Spanish classes all the way from elementary school. I was so terrible. And, and it's because I didn't like to read. Yeah. And now yeah. I'm very, I mean, like I cherry pick what I read. Uh-huh. Like I'm, I'm not an avid reader. I cannot say you can recommend a book to me. And if I start the book and I don't like it, I'll, I just, I'll just put it away. <laughs> yeah. It, it shouldn't be like that. And I, and I recognize that's an opportunity area I have, but if I'm not intrigued by what the book is showing, you capture me in the first three pages. If it's not interesting, uh, I throw it away. Yeah. I mean, I just yeah. put it aside. I'm like, ah. <laughs> so for me, I, I would, I, I it almost sounds like I shouldn't recommend you books unless it really captures your mind or unless the first three pages are that, uh, that yeah, intriguing. It, 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 it has to be captivating. Yeah. Otherwise, if I start reading the first three, four pages and there's no key point or I don't get a sense of where the author is going, mm-hmm. You lost me because I, I kind of want to know. I want to begin with the end of mine. I kind of want to know, okay, where are you going? And it's got, I mean, it's kind of how I operate in my job. Yeah. It's just kind of my mindset. Like, okay, cut, cut to the chase. Let's get this done. You know, yeah. and it's kind of like, uh, it's how do you call it? You know, you have process oriented individuals and then you have results oriented individuals. I, I, I somewhat thought I was more in the middle, but now yeah. that I've developed, I'm more of a results-oriented individual. So I want to know what's going on. Mm, yeah, that's very cool. I mean, just cut it, cut it dry, and then we'll work our way back if we need to. Right. But let's try to get something done. Let's try to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Uh, earlier, you had said uh, that procrastination was an issue in high it school. It, it and it I was. Think, <laughs> I think a theme for a lot of uh, not only upward bound students, but students that go into college, they're, they're first generation, and they're going to a college that's what they struggle with is that procrastination piece. Totally. What uh, helped you finally get over that? Uh, I think it's important to just schedule. You have to schedule. You, you really have to set up a schedule. And if they give you a project and you know you have two months to do the project, don't wait until the last minute to do it. Set up an <laughs> hour advice. or yeah, set up an hour or two hours and work on something. Do the investigations. I mean, the first thing that you should, and, and nowadays it's easier. In our times, when I was in college, or when I was in, in, in grade school, I mean, I barely had a computer when I was in what uh, I would say, I got a computer in fifth grade. Uh, I learned what dial-up was. Uh, I think it was like in 2002. We finally got dial-up at home. And yeah. do you remember dial-up back in the day? Oh, I remember in the early dial-up, yeah. <laughs> So uh, we got a computer with dial-up and it was a compact, you know, and before that we had an older one, but it wasn't connected. So we had the Encarta Encyclopedia residing on a CD. Oh my gosh. Uh, so in a CD, I mean, when I was what, 10 years old, I saw a CD and I'm like, oh, I was mind boggled by that. Oh, a CD, it runs a program. Wow, fantastic. Now I see a CD and I'm like, I don't even know how to run it. I don't even have a CD <laughs> running my computer. It's either, it's either on the cloud or on a flash drive. Yeah, that, that's it. So, that much. Yeah, it's a flash drive. So it, 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 back in the day, I had to rely a lot on physical books or I had to go to the library to do my homework. So also we didn't have transportation back in my family when I was growing up. So mm-hmm. every time we had to go to the library, it was either calling my dad, Hey dad, you know, can you come and pick me over? Cause dad didn't live with us back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I had to call my dad, hey dad, can you pick me over? I need to go to the library. Sometimes he could, sometimes he could not. So gotta make it work. We gotta make it work sometimes. Or sometimes I just had to take the bus. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So Richard, on to the, actually the next great question that I have for you is how did you find out about the Trio Talent Search program? So I was um, in the Dr. Juan Otosuna school in Caguas, Puerto Rico, and uh, the counselor came over to our room because, I mean, uh, back in Puerto Rico, the, it used to be that way in the early 2000s. The rooms were designed and if you were taking AP courses, uh, you were set up in a, in, a, in a separate room and you had like a separate number and you had your peers in, a, in AP classes. So, I mean, I don't know how I landed there, but I landed somehow. I think it was because of your GPA. So in, 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 in middle school, I had a good GPA. They put me there in high school when I enrolled. Uh, this lady comes over, I think her name, I don't remember the name of the counselor. I do remember the name of the director. because so, She had a little bit more impact than, than uh, but, but I had to say the counselor's name was, uh, I think it's Maria. So uh, she went over and she talked about the counselor's program. And the funny part is that I almost didn't make it because uh, the only way I was able to go into talent search was because you were, you need to be first generation right. to become part of, become part, part of talent search. Yeah. So the only way I was able to get in the program was by means of my grandma. My grandma only had a ninth grade. Oh, okay. Yeah. And my grandma was my tutor, but my mother did have a bachelor's degree, but my mother was a disabled. Mm -hmm. So technically if your tutor is your grandma, that's how I got into the program. Oh, so they found like a loophole or an exception for you to be able to get into the program. Yeah, sadly, but true. <laughs> I mean, it, it paid out. It paid out right. at the end of the day, and it was not it a trick. In reality, you. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm not lying, but you know, it's the truth. You know, it was be uh, my grandma being my tutor. Yeah. But in reality, I mean, that was one of the things they were debating: Are you able to qualify or not? And they, yeah. I mean, they made it qualify because in reality, she was the one taking care of me, and uh, she had a legal tutoring um, arrangement with me. So I was able to join the program, and then. I learned uh, how talent, talent search operated back in my school. They went to my school. I didn't have to go to the university. The counselor went on a weekly basis. They took like the counseling uh, to the, and the programs were at school. Mm -hmm. And then we only went to the university once or twice for activities on a yearly basis. Mm -hmm. So not terrible. And they offered the spelling bees competitions with talent search and all these programs that were great. Yeah. And then if you needed additional assistance or additional tutoring or counseling, you were able to get that through the program. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it, it was amazing. I mean, back in the day, growing in high school, all these uh, changes from middle school. Middle school and high school were scattered difference in, in environments. High school, you're probably practically a little bit more independent. So you needed that assistance. And I mean, the, the, it keeps getting tougher and tougher. Absolutely. And so what was it yeah. like being part of, of Talent Search? For you, what A lot of things. You know, when I was in Talent Search, I was able to, through Talent Search, explore this summer programs outside of Puerto Rico. Keep in mind that I never le left Puerto Rico until I was 15 and I went to Disney World mm -hmm. on, a, on a program that my, my grandma um, helped me, you know, raise money for it. You know, she, she basically complimented with what she had and she was able to make me go to Florida for a week. I mean, that for me was the greatest thing in the world, you know, and sometimes you take that for granted when you're growing up and you don't know, you don't know this. The, the big sacrifices in life that your parents or your grandparents make to try to make it work for you. And nowadays I look at it and I'm like, if I had the opportunity of going back and be more grateful about the things that they did for me, I, I would do it without any remorse. Uh, I think I did it. If there's one thing I regret in life is not having the mental maturity to at that 
that time, be more grateful to my parents or be more grateful to my grand grandparents mm -hmm. for what they did for me and the sacrifices they did for me. And going back to the subject about how trio helped, I mean, my parents could have said no to me going to Buffalo State. Oh, my sure, grandparents yeah. could have said no to me going to NJIT because it was basically back to back and my mom was sick. She, they needed help with my mom. My grandpa was going through cancer. They could have said, no, you're not going. You're mm -hmm. staying. We need help. And at the end of the day, they said, well, you know, we need to see the greater good in this. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going, you know, it was six weeks in Buff State. And then it was another six weeks the other year in NJIT in Newark. Yeah, and I think those experiences all came, all came through Talonster. So one thing led to the other, and that helped shape my career. I didn't know I was going to study mechanical engineering until I went to NJIT. Mm. I mean, I wanted to be. I mean, I wanted to take a bot. I think I wanted to go for biology mm. until that point. Then I realized like biology is not going to be my thing if I'm not able to really enjoy people because I wanted to go to med school. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I discovered, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm way too sensible for dealing with people. And I think doctors have to have like a cold blooded type of approach. You know, they have to be sensible, but I don't think I'm that good in biology. That's point number one. And point number two, I think I'm enjoying this science thing way too much. Mm, yeah. And the fact of being yeah. creative. And when I was growing up and I was little, I like to break stuff up and try to build it again mm -hmm. and just dissect products, dissect things. And, I even have, I, I had 10 or 12 years and I was always playing with my grandpa's screwdrivers. Yeah. I tearing stuff apart and breaking stuff apart. That's amazing. So you already had like a knack for science in your mind. Uh, I, I really have enjoyed science and, and I kind of have a, like a science methodology to everything, even finances. Like if I do this, okay, how will it pan out? And I throw, I throw possibilities out there. So that's amazing. Uh, and uh, mathematics have always been my my favorite subject. I'm, I'm always, I've, I've always had a keen uh, aspect for mathematics. Yeah. Fantastic. Richard, we're going to take a quick break for the podcast. So we'll be back with Richard Robert Santiago from the Trio Talent Search program. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are back with Richard, a TRIO alum of the Talent Search program. Uh, Richard was talking to us about his experience in the, the TRIO Talent Search program and what he got out of it. So our good segue now, um, uh, Richard, is what did you learn the most being in this Talent Search program? Well, I think the sky's the limit. I learned a lot of, about diversity. When you grow in an island, everybody pretty much, even though we physically look different, everybody has kind of the same cultural concept. And I, I think getting to, get, getting to know other races, other cultures, other people that were in the program was great. And that the sky's, I learned that the sky is the limit and that there's many possibilities for those that don't have necessarily the tools the skills, or they don't come from affluent communities necessarily to accomplish your academic dreams. Uh, thanks to the summer programs and, and to talent search, I think I was able to identify what I wanted for my career. 
I mean, and, and as I, I told you a little bit earlier, I mean, the NJIT experience, well, taking physics, I, I remember with Dr. Abed Drabo was the name of the professor. I was able to discover what my real passion was. And I, I had to say that that really helped me shape my, my college career very well. And actually start to get that structure. Keep in mind that I've, I've been going to school for nine, 10 years prior to going to the summer, summer programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get to high school and you do these programs. And I noticed, you know, life is a little bit more fast paced than what you think it is. And you shouldn't be so relaxed about the things in life. Yes, you need to take into account, hey, there is a life out there and you need to really strive to make it work. Otherwise, you're going to go to the bottom of the pile. And those things I, I learned in, in the summer programs. And it was not, and, and I also learned that life is not necessarily a competition, but you have to improve yourself every single day. Agreed. You got to better yourself every single day. Otherwise you're wasting time. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, and if there's something that I'm very conscious in life that I also learned on the programs is don't waste your time. But best of all, don't waste anybody else's time. Oh, that's a good lesson. Uh, what inspired that uh, lesson? Like, wh- how did you learn that? Well, I learned that because sometimes you had to do group assignments and, 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 and you, you were responsible for doing a certain amount of things. And that taught me that in the job place, if you get delegated something, do it on time so that they can, number one, review what you're doing and you can receive constructive criticism on it. And the second element is, being on time and having a well product is possible. You don't have to sacrifice quality and, and schedule. Mm-hmm. You just have to have a proper plan to address them both. Absolutely. Uh, so can you share with us uh, your experience with the Trino Talent Search program? What was your most memorable experience in the program? So I think uh, th- there are three experiences that, that, that I'm going to talk about today. I think one of them was finally getting to read an English book in the math and science program in 2002 for the uh-huh. first time in English. I read in Spanish, but not in English. In English, the classes are a little bit more, you know, downscaled when you're growing up in the island in public school. The, the English courses are, they don't keep up with the academic system in the U.S. So when you have the opportunity of coming, and I was fluent. I mean, verbally, I was fluent, but I've never read a book in English. I don't like reading. So having the opportunity of reading Macbeth, I was like, ah, yeah, Macbeth, ah, Shakespeare, okay. Yeah. Then I had the opportunity uh, of going to a Shakespeare at the Park event in, in oh, Buffalo. Yeah. So that was great. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is what the book is saying because oh. I'm a visual guy. <laughs> oh, that's what that's, that's what Shakespeare meant here. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't remember anything about Macbeth back in the day, but. Yeah, it was it was it was interesting, you know, and that was one of the, the key experiences. The other one was able to go to camping at the nice. end of that program and, and getting to go getting to know my peers a little bit better. Uh, then in, in 2003, I had the opportunity to go into NJIT. That's when I got a little bit of a reality check when uh, Mr. Culpepper uh, out of NJIT, which was a program director back in the day. Uh-huh. He was our I don't remember the name of the course, but it was where we read like a book a week. I mean, that for me week. was. Yeah. So we started off with, uh, I think it was uh, the Who Moved My Cheese was the first book. And then you went to the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People uh-huh. or Highly Effective Teens back in uh-huh. the day. And then you had to read the, the Color of Water. And then there was another book. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I really, I, I, I don't know which one I slacked on. And I mean, like at the end of the day, if you kept up with your testing and everything, like you were able to go to Six Flags uh, over there yeah. in New Jersey or yeah. anything. That was kind of the, the price. So uh, we had to do remedials. I mean, I had to do remedials because I got my reality check. Like I didn't read the <laughs> oh, book. <no>. So 
I'm like, ah, that was a reality check. If you don't put your your effort in, you know, you're not gonna get a you're not gonna get a reward. And, right. Uh, I mean, now when you grow up, you understand a little bit better. And sometimes I I feel you know that sometimes maybe my counselors either uh, Michelle Perani or or Anthony Culpepper was like, oh, he's he's a good kid, but he's a little bit lazy. And it could be, you know, that could be the perspective. And I learned in life that that was my reality check. Like, hey, I need to, you know get a little bit more empowered to do what I need to do. Right. And I mean, talking about this experience means I want to bring, what I want to bring across to the table is that I was not necessarily the, the ideal kid. You know, I was not the ideal student. Uh, don't think about it that way. Au contraire, I was kind of lazy. And uh, with that being said, you are able to straighten your path. You are able to change that mindset and change that behavior and start planning a little bit more in your life start organizing a little bit better. But without... I mean, now is when I realize that what I learned back in the day, I'm mm-hmm. able to implement now yeah. when I have 32, 33 years and I actually lead a team now in my current job. I have a, a team of five estimates and I'm able to implement that psychology of, hey, you know, if you need anything, let me know. And and, and I'm able to work a little bit better. And it's, it sounds funny, but those experiences shape the way that you operate on your professional career. Oh, sure. Yeah. But that, that wouldn't have been possible without the input of great counselors that know what they're doing, that they believe in, in the youth, that they're able to develop the youth and actually make sure that we, when we're participating in the program and those that are participating in talent search, they are able to capitalize on those traits, capitalize on those skills so that they become more successful, not only in their college career, but also long term in their professional career, yeah. which is another drastic transition. Absolutely. From one place to the other. But now when you look at back, it kept shaping the way that I operated. Absolutely. The, pro, the proactivity beginning with the end in mind. And, and you start thinking about those things and you start like disseminating and leading by example. Yeah. So speaking of changes, what changes did you encounter uh, in high school? So from middle school to high school, I think the changes are more socially driven. You know, you want to be cool. You want to be the cool kid. In reality, I wasn't that engaged in that environment but sometimes that's one of the things that you want to be really care for you want to be the cool kid and being the cool kid nuts doesn't necessarily mean the academically inclined mm-hmm. so what you want to do is you want to try and maintain a balance and build those relationships with, with your peers try to get that group that really supports you on what really matters and you have got to identify what really matters for you not everybody is entitled or, or going to a college career but if you want to pursue that college career That doesn't mean you have to be uneducated in order to not pursue a college career. If you do want to pursue a college career, you are more than welcome to keep the focus on what you want to do. But if you don't want to, you you don't want to pursue that college career. We need to start talking about trade work. We need to start talking about all these other professions that you're able to do that are not going to make you a less human being. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, education means I am ready for facing what comes in life. That should be the focus. And yeah. I think that's what Talent Search and Upper Bound does at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yes, we are focusing on trying to make you go through college. But if you don't want to go to college, you can still take benefit of the program because those are life skills that you're going to implement. I like that. At the end of the day. And right now, based on what I do, construction work, uh, me being a liaison for federal government, making sure that the taxpayer money is being held, which we're going to talk a little bit later, making sure that the that the taxpayer money is being spent in the right, right of ways under my responsibility. We need trade works. 
trade workers. We need carpenters. We need HVAC guys. We still have to go to school through that. Yeah. You still have to go to union school or you have to go to a technical college. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you a lesser person than having a, philo- a philosophy degree or having a mechanical engineering degree. Right. I rely on the knowledge of the people that are trade workers because I don't know it all. And that's what you also learn in life. Everybody has a little grain of salt to contribute to the whole pot. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that's a great and, way to put it. And you have to understand that nobody, nobody's lesser than anybody. Nobody's above anybody. Everybody has a contribution. You have to be strategic in how to identify what the individual is best at and respect their knowledge. Absolutely. And we have a saying in Puerto Rico, we say, uh, respect your gray hair. You got to think that way. You got to respect the gray hair. You got to respect the people that have been there before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes you a better leader, not shying away f- from recognizing you need to take everybody into account. Absolutely. And then you discuss the idea. If you come to the conclusion that the idea is not necessarily optimal, you talk it over with the individual with respect. But if they, if something might come out of the whole individual idea. Yeah. And and I think in, in high school it's the same way. High school should be a moment in which you are taking advantage of the academic components, but you're also developing the relationships. I still talk to my peers in high school. I still message them. Some of them sometimes. That is what we need to strive for because at the end of the day, as I was mentioning before, relationships are built and they're kept and that's how knowledge comes into play. Absolutely. By keeping those relationships and keep developing those those relationships. Well, thank you, Richard, for that. I think that's very insightful and, and a really good recommendation and, and advice that any student can really take, uh, whether you're just uh, – uh, a, current, a current college student, right? Or a, a high school student that's still coming up. That's uh, really good advice to take. Uh, but for you, did you find high school to be easy or challenging? And I know we were talking a little bit about how some cl- courses were challenging for you and, and how uh, reading was just not your forte. No, for sure. I mean, col- I mean, high school for like the Spanish classes were mostly difficult. That's where I had to put most of the effort. Math, that wasn't that hard. Science wasn't that hard, but Spanish. And I had to really put some some effort in the Spanish courses. I think that was the only thing I really had to go home and just like put my nose on the book, down on the book and try to really? get it to, to, to deal. And then I, I really have to, but then again, you know, it goes down to the lack of planning, to not being, you know, engaged at the same time. And I was like crunching at the end of the day, the majority of the time. So yeah, the Spanish course was a little bit the, the tacky part in high school. Other than that, uh, that was the most difficult. And I think everybody else would, would, would identify with a specific course or multiple courses that you don't really have an interest on. And when you don't have an interest on, you just have to make it work and find the resources that are, that are able to help you. And I think if I would change something back in, in my high school career was trying to get a little bit more help at the end of the day to try mm-hmm. to address those situations. And I think I struggled and I, I put a lot of efforts because I wasn't identifying what resources could have helped me at the time to try to become, uh, you know, to try to overcome that challenge that I was facing. Absolutely. Uh, students typically identify top colleges that they want to attend during their junior or senior year. What colleges were you considering? So when, when I was uh, going out of high school, you know, I did that mental change of going to mechanical engineering. I mean, I was going from 11 to uh, from being a junior to being a senior. So, I mean, that, that's a little, a little bit of a short time to try to decide where to go to college because 
you might have thought about college and they don't have the program and then you, you start reassessing. So my three, my two options were either go to NJIT or go to, um, or three options, I should say. The two University of Puerto Rico, so one is in Rio Piedras, the other one is in Mayaguez. Rio Piedras, I wasn't going for mechanical engineering. I was planning to go for physics in uh, University of Puerto Rico, Rio Piedras campus, and then uh, Mayaguez. So in reality, what happened is I ended up only applying to Mayaguez for mechanical engineering. Okay. Um, then again, I submitted my application. For some reason, something happened in the process where um, I applied to Mayaguez. Mayaguez didn't respond to me until later May. Oh, wow. That I got accepted. Uh -huh. Therefore, I started evaluating Universidad del Turabo where the talent search program was residing on. They mm -hmm. had a, a smaller mechanical engineering program. They were just recently accredited by AVID. Mm -hmm. So one of my peer buddies, um, Emmanuel Rivera, uh, he went to the college and investigated about a, an honor program that was uh, going on in the, in the university. Keep in mind, university, even though it is private in Puerto Rico, it's not that expensive when compared to the mainland. So, I mean, you can go to a whole year in, in private school in Puerto Rico costs around what? Uh, I would say if you're taking 18 credits a semester, you're talking about 10 grand a year um, all in. So yeah. not, not that expensive. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you had a Pell Grant uh, coming out, you know, from a disadvantage. You had Pell Grant and then the difference was paid for by the program if you got in. So I investigated the program that was like March or April of 2004, right before graduating from high school. And I opted for that university. They accepted me. They uh, and they accepted me into the program. Mm -hmm. So I I ended up going to the Universidad de Turao, but you know it it brought a little bit of a criticism. Uh, like you're so talented, you're a good student, you have the I mean you have the capacity, and and also there was another element that was feeding into the decision, and it was my reality at home. Mm -hmm. I wasn't gonna be far away when. My parents or my grandparents didn't have, I mean, I didn't have transportation back in the day, et cetera, et cetera. All these complicating factors. So I decided to go a little bit closer from home. It was like a half an hour commute on a, on a public transportation system or an hour commute, taking two buses uh, back in the day or smaller vans, mm -hmm. and how public transportation was in Puerto Rico. So going to a smaller university, I mean, it brought a little bit of criticism. I didn't pay a lot of attention. At the end of the day, you're getting a bachelor's degree. Could I, could I have gotten to a better school? That's discretionary, you know. At the end of the day, yes. I bless those who were able to do it. And I think it's great that they were able to do it. I don't regret going to Universidad de Turao whatsoever. I think the education that I received there, I think I'm a testimony that the university, that the university did their job. That's the bottom line. And I did my job to go, just come out of the university and be successful. Otherwise, I, I, I don't think that without the preparation that they gave me, I was able to be in the job that I'm at right, I'm at right now. Uh, I mean, you could argue back and forth and we can agree to disagree that the sure. university might impact or might not impact what you do, that that's all individually driven. Could be, but it is, it, is, it plays a big factor of getting that first job. Absolutely, yeah. Where you come from or what university you come from does play a factor. Um, I was able to go, uh, get a job, I mean, in, in, in 2009, which is recession time. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And that's how, you know, I started working in the pharmaceutical sector right before graduating college. So 2008, January 2008, I, I joined Sharon Plow as a co-op, then extended my tenure for I, I, total, total time within the co-op and the, as a contractor was one year and nine months of, mm -hmm. of work. Mm -hmm. I mean, even prior to graduating, I was working in the sector, you know. 
and and that was a great experience and i i wouldn't have been able to do that without my experience within my university i was able to go to a politics internship in 2006 i entered with congresswoman nidia velasquez um back in the day oh wow it was district 12 of new york she was a representative for district 12 in new york i was able to to learn about politics and serve as an intern in her office i mean i was only 19 years at the time when i did that yeah, so that was a great impressive. experience all, yeah. all those all those things i mean if I didn't go to Universidad Bravo, those opportunities probably would have gone a certain way. And I think everything has a purpose. So, yes, but yes, it, it did bring a little bit of a, of, a, of a struggle, you know, like, why aren't you going there? You know, Universidad de Puerto Rico is a lot better than Universidad Bravo. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, you, yeah. you could agree to disagree. Right. But, but I think at the end of the day, the education and component from Universidad Bravo is great. And I mean, I ended up going for an advanced degree. Uh, and after that, I mean, not immediately, but but I, I did decide that, okay, you know, I, I need to take this further and, and, and just make it work, you know. And and totally, I mean, totally agree that uh, the, the habit doesn't necessarily make the monk, but it does establish a pillar. So if your school doesn't do their job, you're going to be lacking some skills when you go to the job uh, to the job office or when you go to the job site and those are the things that you really need to effort and getting through college doesn't mean that you're going to be successful in your career right you can you can cruise through college but if you're not capitalizing on the experiences that you are making in college your job your job experiences are not going to be so so fulfilled you're going to be true. very narrow focused true very true. Um, so with with that in mind, and as you got closer and closer to graduating, um, because high school is only one part of the journey, how did you mentally prepare to go into college? Well, that was kind of funny because I never left school, theoretically. Once I graduated from high school, I went to a summer program to finish my pre-calc courses. Uh, I didn't pass my AP exam for pre-calc, even though mathematics was my best uh, course. Mm -hmm. Um, in grade number 12, I don't know, uh, maybe what happened was I didn't study enough for the test or, I mean, things happen, you know, life goes on. Uh, so unfortunately I did not pass my AP course in mathematics and the pre-calc, uh, AP course. So I, they gave me the opportunity to go through a program called step program in Universidad Durao. Mm -hmm. Uh, they said, Hey, you know, we have this program, uh, three weeks of pre-calc one, or I think it was a month. Uh, one month of pre-calc one, one month of pre-calc two. So I was basically studying June and July, taking both pre-calc courses. Yeah. I took advantage of that. And then I was into calc one, calculus one in, in my first semester in college. I think it was great. And basically I kind of got a test of how fast paced college is. Yeah. And that you don't have a lot, you don't have a lot of opportunities to, of nailing down a great grade when you're studying in summer. That gave you a taste. Right. right. But, <laughs> but once you start going into the concentration courses, the sciences, yeah. the engineering courses, I got a, a wake up call in my second semester when I was taking <laughs> physics one. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. So, so my first, my first opportunity taking physics one and luckily I passed the course, but I wasn't the greatest. I mean like, oh, I'm ready. I mean, I, I think it was a matter of overconfidence. Ah, I'm going to pass it, you know, ah, it's going to be fine. So I ended up, you know, getting bad grades on the first exam, the second exam, the third, the third exam didn't come as, as well as I thought. Uh, and then, you know, I was borderline of just dropping out of the course and retaking it again. 
But I said, let me stick and see what the final course is going to be. And you'll, we'll take the hit if I don't pass the course, I don't pass it, and we'll make it work. Well, I did pass. <laughs> so Good, yeah. I, I passed, but I'm not proud of, of the amount of effort I put into the course. Uh, looking back at it, but it is too late to tenderize the beans, as my grandma would say. But I learned a lot. Uh, and sometimes that's one of the other things that I learned in college. It's okay to fail. Absolutely. It's okay to fail. Life is not perfect. And that taught me, okay, you, you cannot focus on what you did not do. You have to focus on what you have in hand and you got to move forward. Mm-hmm. You cannot keep looking back and keep looking back and, and just re, uh, regurgitating in the, in the mud, as, yeah. as we like to, to call it, like, uh, like so, uh, just uh, drowning in a puddle of water. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you got you got to move forward. And that's what I learned about that experience. You cannot look at what you did not do. You got to look at what you're able to do from now on. Absolutely. I, I like how you talked about your preparation for college that it was either non-existent or, or you were at least aware of the things that you needed to get done. But your first yeah. year, like you did pretty well. But the second year was a, a wake up call, like you said, the second semester and the first year. Yeah. So it was the second semester. It was terrible. You know, I was taking physics one, calculus two. I mean, those are very technical classes. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And then you're like humanities two and all those like complementary classes that you have to take. So, I mean, the second semester was a wake up call. It's like I straightened out and I started doing some scheduling, some heavy scheduling and start doing some more effort on here. Otherwise, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be doing well. Yeah. So what was the most challenging aspect of college for you? Habits, yeah. I mean, habits. just yeah, bad habits that I've been developing. I mean, I didn't have a study schedule dialed in. I, I got one like in, I think it was like third year in reality, because because sometimes yeah, you you start developing it in the second year, and then in that second year, the second semester, I was uh, going in an internship and, to um, Washington D.C. Yeah, and what were your so, success- yeah, yeah, go. Sorry, Richard, I'm sorry. So uh, on the third year, I started developing a little bit more of a schedule. Okay, I'm going to study from this time to that time for this course, from this time to that time for the other course. That's how I got a lot better in my scheduling. And then I started working full time uh, during my two last years of college. And I made it work. You know, uh, I, I worked through the day, went through college through night, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. One of the things is you need to balance out your social life. That's essential. You really have to make sure that you're not, it's not that you're not going to go out, but you shouldn't be going out every single day. Mm-hmm. And that's critical. And that's one of the things that helped me success, succeed. That was able to set up the time to go through college and not worry about anything else. Absolutely. So what were your successes in college, Richard? What, what do you feel like was successful or what you did was successful? I, I, I think just being able to do a, po- a politics internship with a mechanical engineering uh, degree, I think it was key. The fact that I was able to work on the math and science program for three years, 2005, 2006, 2007 in math and science, Oberbound and Buffalo, New York, that gave me an exposure as a, as a dorm counselor because I was able to assist in the program and see and help other kids. Uh, developed through the program. I think that was key. And I was able to complement that experience because once I got out of college, I had working experience. I had the internship, the upper bound math and science experience, but I also had the two years with the pharmaceutical company. So when I got out, I went and, and I, I shifted to a construction company that hired me as an estimator. And I developed as an estimator, a lot of mathematics, a lot of analysis, and it helped me. It helped me be successful. Um, Social skills are also important. I'm able to articulate pretty well uh, 
uh, with others and I'm able to relate to others and, and those are key. And those were learned in high school, getting along and getting to know people and getting, and me being an oratorist, that helped me develop a lot. But in college specifically, I think those experiences that complemented my academic career, mm -hmm. capitalizing on that and not worrying about going out in four years. It's never, it's not necessarily gonna happen. It all depends. If you wanna really complement your college experience, get internships, get co-ops, do other things because that's gonna set you aside from the rest of the gang or from the rest of the group when you're trying to get, find a job. Absolutely. And the other advice is don't try to, don't try to study something so just so you, hey, you can get paid a lot of money. That's not how it works. Because then again, you're going to be miserable trying to find a job that best pays for you long term. Mm -hmm. You've got to find something where you feel confident, comfortable, and, and approachable. Those Absolutely. are the three keys that you need to find and, and to relate. Absolutely. I mean, you need to have a passion for it. Absolutely. You need to be engaged on it. You, you can, it cannot be something that you're just going to hate. Oh, I wake up this morning. I wake up this afternoon. And I don't really want to go to work. There are some days where it's going to happen. Yeah. But it shouldn't be that way, you know. Oh, one absolutely. day, one day a month is fine. You know, I think that should be the the allowable ratio for being fed up with work. But right. other than that, you're, you're ha <laughs> you you have to enjoy it. You have to like it. Otherwise, I don't absolutely. see it. I don't see it effectively working. Absolutely, Richard. We're going to take another quick break. Uh, we'll be back with more with the Trio Upward uh, Trio Upward Bound alum and Trio Talent Search alum. Awesome. Very good so far, Richard. It's sounding very great on this end. So you're doing a fantastic job. Love it. Awesome. Thank you. You're, and you're keeping pace. So you're doing an amazing job. Awesome. Thank you. Three, two, one. We are back with Richard Robert Santiago talking to us about his college experience, uh, being not only a trio, a trio alum of the Talent Search program, but Trio Upward Bound, but now sharing with us his college journey. So Richard, you have gone through college uh, and you're, you're going through this college experience. Talk to us a little bit about that, um, the overall college experience that you had. What was it like and what did you get, what did you get out of it? So on the college experience, I think the matter of getting to know more people, getting to know different people around uh, helped me a lot. And going to the workplace while still being in college, give me a complimentary approach of what should I expect when I go back to the workforce full time after going out of college? I got a sense of, okay, this is harder than it looks. You know, once you're in, in the workplace, you're, you're accountable for what you're doing. And it's a huge responsibility. Oh, sure, that gave yeah. you a, a great perspective. Being in the pharmaceutical sector gave you it complemented because it teaches you a lot of, about how to configure processes and how to be proactive. Right. And That's I think the, 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 the overall college experience was great. Getting to know peers, getting to know mothers, fathers that were going back to college to get their degrees, being able to study at night uh, with them. I think it was great. I mean, be, for me, that was more important for them to get their bachelor's degree than even myself. Because if they were able to go back to college with kids that were seven, eight, nine years old, mm -hmm. and I was just a 21-year-old kid back in the day, that taught me, okay, it is possible. If they're able to make it, I don't have any excuses. Mm. And they, they, they really brought a breadth of knowledge to the table when they were like, they were able to, if you're able to maintain a family, work full-time, go to college for engineering, 
which is very demanding, by the way. Mm -hmm. Those courses are very demanding. Yeah. What am I complaining a lot? Hmm. Puts things into perspective. Yes. I mean, what am I complaining a lot? Yeah. Uh, definitely. You know, it, it taught me a lot and I value that. I mean, that, that, that life lesson right there. That's amazing. Yeah. Can you talk to us about the moment you graduated? Describe that for us. What was that like? I think for me, it was a, it was a great accomplishment. You know, graduating was finally putting the rubber stamp on all the efforts that we did, all the nights that we weren't able to sleep, the things that did go well, the things that didn't go well. That's just like, it's when you put the stamp on a little box that you're trying to mail out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, you know, has something important going out to the world. Once you graduate from college, it's like putting that rubber stamp on top of the box and you are the box. Yeah. You are that little box. So going through college and graduating from college, putting that rubber stamp and actually being sent out. Okay. This is your time. What are you going to do? Yeah. That's what graduation felt like. It felt like the, the, it, it, like the wrap up for what's got, what was going to come later down the road. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it was, a, it was, it was satisfaction. It was gratitude, a satisfaction because you accomplished your goal that you were striving so much to get. Gratitude because there was a lot of people that really impacted the career that you chose and uh, and impacted the academics that you were going through. You might say, oh, I did it alone. Not really. I mean, there's if I were to say I would tell you you're a liar, you have to rely on somebody else on certain instances in order to get through your college career. Absolutely. It's really, it's rather difficult for you to do it alone, especially when most of the job, most of the courses that you take have to do some sort of group work. Yeah. And even when you're studying, studying with your peers is going to be a lot better uh, than having to study alone because you compliment yourself and you say, hey, try this process out, try this other process out. And I think that's where it goes. Getting to getting to getting to bond with other people and actually seeing that all of you got together. And they got through it together. I think that was the most satisfactory feeling of, the, of all after graduating from college. But it is more important to experiment in college all that you can so that when you go to the workforce, you're ready. Or if you want to go to an advanced degree, you're ready as well. Yeah. And then you decided to pursue a master's degree. Talk to us about the decision process. What led you to go to pursue one? So after I got my job in, in construction, I decided to go to a master's degree right after I kind of learned what the construction business was all about. And I enjoyed a lot being an estimator. I decided to go back to a master's degree in, uh, in engineering management with a concentration in construction management. So I think that decision was fulfilled basically where I was working. Uh, and then I did a year, I lost interest on it, decided to pull out of the program and then I kept working as an estimator for until 2014 when I decided to come to the U.S. I decided to come to the U.S. and I accepted an opportunity with the Department of Veteran Affairs. Uh, I spent the time as a contracting officer, representative general engineer with the hospital. Then I went to the private sector again with Pfizer. And then came back to the government in 2016. Wow. In Pfizer, I decided, okay, I need to finish this. Because back in the day, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have a, a long tenure here. Oh, chances are, you know, you got opportunities in life that you decide to shift over back yeah. again to the government. Yeah. So I, I finished my master's degree while on Pfizer. Uh, I ended up my master's degree the last year, and I did it online. And then I went back to, um, I mean, back at, at the time, at the same time in 2015, when I was finishing my master's degree, 
my daughter was born. So oh, wow. everything yeah, yeah. was happening at the same time. So that was interesting. So I graduated in 2016 from a master's degree. I finished the master's degree, did all my coursework, got my, my master's degree. Then I got accepted uh, in this position in the General Services Administration. I've been, it's been four years as of Monday. Wow, congratulations. So, thank you. So four years uh, I've been with the General Services Administration under, I started as a general engineer, then I switched it off to a construction analyst position. Doesn't change what I do, but it changes my responsibilities. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm more of a lead estimator for the region, six states, uh, from Indiana to Minnesota, bordering the Great Lakes. So Indiana, no, sorry, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota. All those six states bordering the Great Lakes, uh, we, we manage those states from a public building's oh, wow. perspective. That is amazing. So that, that's kind of my responsibility. So that master's degree helped me get this, get this job and, and allowed me to, I mean, contribute because I'm, I'm very focused on process oriented and, and process improvement. And we've been doing a lot. And, and that all came through the experiences we learned in my college and my master's degree and my job site. Wow. So I was able to contribute a lot to the current structure. And, and I think it's a benefit, but Yes, doing a master's degree, it's not easy. And when you do it online and you have a, a, a newborn, a lot of sacrifices are made. So I'm thinking for, um, for my wife to kick in, in, for kicking in and assisting in that process and letting me pursue that dream Yeah. and, and getting to finish, you know, that master's degree. I think it was key. I mean, without support, it's going to be tough. So oh, absolutely. I think something that can come out of, out of this is value who's supporting you and be thankful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And master's programs already on themselves, like you've said, they're challenging and it requires a lot of time. Totally. Uh, where did you find the motivation to get it done? Well, as I was mentioning, uh, I mean, I started motivated. Then I'm like, ah, do I really want to do this? And I dropped out. And then I decided to come back because I, I saw the need. I saw the need to get better. I saw the need to learn more. And that I needed an academic tool to complement my, my, my professional career. I needed to learn a little bit more about project management, proper financial management, and human resources. That's one of the things that I identified I was lacking. You know, sometimes I'm too cut and dry, and I need to be more sensible in the way I'm approaching my, my peers. Like, not everything is cut and dry. You need to be a little bit more sensible in the way you're approaching. Otherwise, you're not going to get the result that you want. Right. And you need to be sensible to the individual that you're talking about. So I needed to get that knowledge and learn and, you know, and I, I needed to, even though I'm, I'm, I'm approachable, I need to maybe be a little bit more comprehensive of the situations of others. And that, that helped me like focus my career. Uh, finishing my master's degree allowed me to put a little bit more science uh, into the, the management perspective. And I was running projects, managing projects, and now more uh, in a consulting role, which allows me to do an intake and assess, assess projects and assess estimates and assess whatever's going on with a financial construction perspective Absolutely. and determine, am I, it's this firm reasonable to the government or not? And if it's not fair and reasonable, give a determination and a recommendation. And, yeah. and I, that's what I like about my job. So the master's degree definitely helped. And I, I think it's uh, doing the master's degree because you're on your own pace and you don't necessarily, you already have the top of the top pursuing a master's degree. If you decide to do a master's degree, the majority of the people that pursue that are typically high performers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a reality. So it's not the same as doing a, a flappy slappy presentation because you have to do a little bit of an informal presentation tomorrow. No, you, you student high, 
good presentation, good report, because definitely the bar is a little bit higher. Absolutely. And that's what the master's degree is all about. I mean, that's where you separate the men from the boys. Oh, wow. And you separate, and, and, and in reality, that's where you really have to, you know, divide. And, and, and it's not like you're, you're not going to lie to the professor. The professor has a lot of industrial experience as well. Yeah. So if you're saying something that doesn't really correlate with industry practice, it's going to call you out. Yeah. That was my experience in the industrial and I didn't take the chances and I, I mean, I started and, and I did fine. Yeah. So what I was clear that, uh, Hey, this bar is very high. When I saw the other presentations in the same room, I noticed, okay, this is the big leagues now. Yeah. People, I mean, individuals that had 10, 12, 15 years of experience, they, they could speak. And I mean, they could be either good presenters or politicians. You never know. Yeah. I mean, they're really great communicators. And Absolutely. That's when I noticed, okay, the bar is really high. Yeah. So w would you say that was the huge difference between your undergraduate and graduate experience? Totally. The, in, the undergraduate, in the undergraduate degree, you might get a little bit of slack with regards to how you present and, you know, you're still growing up. It's a reality. In the master's degree, you're expected to have a professional, a professional demeanor. Even if you're going right after college, I mean, in the master's degree, you are expected to have a professional demeanor. And I think that's the bar, especially if you're going for a management degree. So it sounds like you got a lot of experience and training for a career. Can you tell us about what you do now? What, what is it that you, you currently do? So I'm a cost estimating lead for the federal government for the General Services Administration in Chicago. Uh, I manage a team of five estimators. Uh, I'm not their supervisor, but I'm more of a team lead. So I assign the workload. And if there's something critical, then I kick in and I address it personally. Uh, all the six states from Ohio to Minnesota bordering the Great Lakes, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, all those six states. Uh, we have public buildings, but we also have leases within those states that we manage. So uh, my responsibility is uh, mainly governing the cost management program. Uh, in our job, we have a policy that mandates how we're supposed to do estimating from one perspective to the other. There's a certain set of rules and regulations that you need to follow. Uh, federal regulations and also GSA owned regulations. So I'm responsible for those. So my role is more, it's a blend between programmatic and self-performing. Mm -hmm. So, but most of the time I'm working on the program. So I lead training for the rest of the region on good estimating practices, cost management. Uh, and some of those trainings are technical. Some of this, those trainings are managerials. So I'm responsible for training the community. I'm responsible for updating all the documents that are needed as we move along and every revision that comes into play. I'm responsible for communicating software changes that come into play. So it's kind of a, but I also do estimating as well. So prospectus projects that are about $3 million all the way to 150 and infinite million dollar projects. Right. I'm the one who reviews them wow. and say, okay, are, are they fair and reasonable or not? Do they have enough general conditions or not? And, and, and things along those lines. That's what I do in my current job. So it's a big, big responsibility. Uh, did I see myself in this job 10 years ago? No, I gotta say no. I did not see myself in this type of job. Uh, did I grow quickly? Well, I don't know, but I like my job. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. I'm very passionate about, about what I do. And, yeah. and I think at the end of the day, what I really like about this role is being able to contribute to the society from uh, being fiduciary responsible to the taxpayer dollar. I think that's, that's what really makes me passionate that, okay, you're too expensive. Why are you adding this? Or why are you doing it in that way? 
there's a value engineering option that you can pursue here. I think we can do this in cer certain fashion. I think the amount of phases that you have in your project is too excessive and things along those lines. Those are the type of assessments I do on a daily basis. Yeah. Aside from trying to coach the younger peers that I have on my team, coaching them to try to lead the way uh, on how to, because that they're going to take over my job in the future. That should be the goal. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to stay here forever. Right. So in the future, I want to make sure that whoever comes after me is readily available. I mean, it's not my whole responsibility, but it's something that I that I strive for. I want to make them empowered so that they can take over any time that I feel like moving on. I like that. And I like how you outlined how you really like your job and what you do and the time you've already spent there. And it sounds like the taxpayer has definitely benefited from you uh, being in that position and really holding uh, everyone accountable uh, as they work with you. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. so. I mean, just to give you a perspective, uh, yeah. by the time that I see a project in the budgetary phase, it doesn't get constructed up to, up after seven years. Really? Yeah. Just to give you a little bit of a funny ah, perspective. Okay. Okay. Just because of the process that it takes on when you request the money, goes to Congress, Congress approves it, comes back, then you resubmit the project so that they can release the funds to pursue the project. That takes you two years. Wow. Yeah, that, that, then you design that puts it. things into a lot of perspective. So then there goes the design. So then go, it goes to design. And we're not talking about uh, designing your home. We're talking about right. designing public buildings. Yeah. 50,000, 60,000, 100,000 square foot. So you're designing all these projects. They're going to take you a year and a half in design. Because it's not only GSA. It's also the other agencies that we serve. Mm -hmm. DOL, DOD. Whoever is it that is coming yeah. into the space, if it's not an internal GSA project and you have customers, they have to be taken into account. They chime into the design. Yeah. So there's a lot of coordination effort. Running a federal project takes a lot of resources, internal and subcontracted wow. uh, efforts, yeah. like sourced efforts. It's, it's very, very intense. And yeah. uh, by the time that you finish that project, it could take you six, five, six, seven years. Wow. And, and like the, the taxpayer doesn't necessarily know this information. Yeah. Well, they don't know how long it takes. Right. Just because of the, how can I better explain? The normal process. I mean, right. others call the bureaucracy, but uh, it's just a process. It has to go that way. There's a process that can it be optimized. I'm not going to go into that discussion. <laughs> let's, let's leave that for, that, that's outside of the, that's, that's not let's talk trio. That's let's talk processes. Uh, but I, I'm just giving you the real, the reality check on, on, oh, and also you might submit a project and from 10 projects, you only get one or two. Mm, that's how mm -hmm, it works. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the planning process on the federal side. Wow. So because you, you go to a pod and you prioritize and you might get one, two projects maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Well, Richard, thank you so much for giving the audience that perspective because I, I think a lot of us are, not to say that we're ignorant, but we really don't see that side of uh, government or, or bureaucracy playing out when, when we talk about building things for a public space. No, definitely. I mean, and, and it's just a natural process of things because we want to do it right. Yeah, absolutely. So Richard, what do you uh, like to do uh, in your time off? Well, I actually do CrossFit on my time off. So I go to a gym and I, uh, on a daily basis, uh, the majority of the time, what I really enjoy most is just having time off with my family going on vacation, which I really miss this year because I haven't been able to go on vacation. I was supposed to go to Jamaica this year oh. and for the first time and I had to cancel my trip to Jamaica. I was also going to Puerto Rico for a little while before going to Jamaica. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I, I just like to go out, go to the scenery, maybe go to Milwaukee, which I'm midpoint between Milwaukee and Chicago. So we might say, oh, well, let's go to Milwaukee today or let's go to Chicago. I really enjoy yeah. that on a normal basis outside of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just like to go out, explore the scenery, go eat some someplace. Yeah. I really enjoy that. Fantastic. Uh, Richard, now that we're about to wrap up the podcast, just to ask you a couple more questions. What are some words of wisdom that you would like to share with current trio participants? So I go around life with three, three phrases that I learned from somebody, one of my mentors in my, uh, when I was volunteering in church. So uh, that's one of the most important things that I learned and I, I transpose that message to everybody. The first thing is uh, for those trio participants is never associate with, or with anybody or going to places with bad reputation. That's the first advice that I received. And I think that's critical to be successful. Uh-huh. Never associate with anybody or associate with a place that has a bad reputation. That's point number one. Point number two, don't get into business without an interest or a vested interest in it. Don't get into anybody's business if you don't have an interest on it. Oh, okay. And the third point is never say or do the first thing that comes to your mind. Can you expand on, on a little bit on that? What do you mean by that? Uh, the second or the third point, the For one both. about the, okay. So, so never go into business without any interest. If you're not really interested in a business and you're doing a perspective on the, on, on the business, you're not talking necessarily because either you're vested or you have an interest on it. You're just talking, giving your perspective, but if you're not vested or trying to, you don't really have a good intent of doing it. That's what it means. It means that you might be getting into somebody else's situation when they're supposed to solve their own situations. In life, you have two perspectives. There are situations where you can chime in respectfully, and there's some situations that you need to avoid. People mm-hmm. need to find their own way out. You okay. need to identify when it's proper to get into anybody's business or not get into anybody's business. And you need to avoid being a hero. I mean, and, and that, that goes out to the other philosophy. There are three points in life where you need to try to avoid getting into these situations. Being a hero, being a victim, or being a villain. Oh, interesting perspective. I like that. Yes. I mean, in life, you cannot be in these positions. You have to try to be as normal as possible. Are heroes normal? Maybe. Are villains normal? Maybe. That can go also to perspective. Are villains normal? Maybe that yeah. can also go into perspective. You can yeah. see me as a villain. I can see it as a hero. Right. It's currently happening of what we discussed at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Hero, villain, or victim. Hmm. Which kind of what mindset do you want to approach? In life, you need to first become a better human being rather than try to be a hero, a victim, I like or a villain. That. To be a better human being. I, I really That's like what that. we should all strive for. And also you need to always be yourself. You need to find your north. You need to find your purpose in life. And I think that's what the trio programs help you identify. Who you are, what do you want to do, and what are you pursuing from this point forward? Absolutely. Anything you would like to say to your mentors, either from trio or outside of trio? Uh, I think what I want to say to them is, even though I might have haven't seemed to have listened to what they had to say, I think I'm a better example that I did listen, even though it might not have showed that I listened. And I think that I'm, I'm very grateful of what they did for me. I think uh, without them, I couldn't have 
taken the career path I've chosen and, and have the success I've had in my career. I, I don't think I, I would have been able to do that without the input. And what would you like to say to TRIO staff listening to the podcast? Don't quit. Just don't quit. It's not whatever difficulties are facing. Let's try to fight for this. Let's try to make it work. Let's try to, if there's some difficulties, I mean, whatever we can do from an outsider perspective, to try to bring a little bit more life into the program and get more opportunities out there, let's do it. Because in reality, I think it works and the trio programs work. And we just need to find out the avenue so that we can lobby for more support towards the program, more funding, and actually identify circles that we haven't been identifying properly so that we are able to impact more and more and more students longer term. Absolutely. Richard, it's been such an honor to have you uh, on the podcast and to really highlight a great example of TRIO excellence. And we thank you for your time. No, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm more than humbled to be here, of being here. So I'm very happy to have been through this experience. And if I put it out there, if anybody wants to reach out or, or have anything that they would like to discuss with me after listening to this podcast, touch base with Juan and we'll, we'll make sure that he issues my information. Absolutely. And we're going to be more than able to support uh, any effort that you guys might have. And we're more than happy to support in any way or shape or form. One of the things I did not mention that I would like to take the opportunity is um, go for it. I'm actually I'm actually the vice president of the Milwaukee chapter for the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Oh wow! So if, there, so if there's any capacity, I mean, I just got nominated and and, and accepted as of one month ago. So if there's anything that we can do from a nonprofit perspective that might complement uh, this um, this effort, uh, let us know, and we'll go, we're going to be able to make it work or, or address it. Other than that, um, I'm more than available to address or, or talk about anything, any pilot projects that you guys might have in the future. Fantastic. Well, Richard, thank you so much. Can you do us the huge honor in signing off for us? Yeah, not a problem. Hi, uh, this is Richard Robert Santiago, and I am a living testimony that TRIO does work. Richard, thank you for, so much for being on the podcast. We'll catch up with you soon. No, thank you, Juan. Have a good one. You too. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. What a great episode with Richard Robert Santiago. Richard, thank you so much for being in the podcast. Your journey is an inspiration, and we are glad, so glad you were able to share your TRIO experience and your overall life experience with us. So, again, super appreciative that you were on the podcast. So, Richard is one of those stories where we reflect and think about the opportunities that students have that we offer to students, right? Whether they're first generation, low income, right? The TRIO does offer that pathway to college. And so, for uh, trio programs. It's uh, wonderful to hear success stories such as Richard's and every single uh, interviewee that I've had on the podcast. You're all success stories in your own right because Trio really sh- shapes professionals, shapes students, and and really starts to help shape the future for for everybody. Remember, if you would like to be featured on Let's Talk Trio, send us a direct message via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also email us at letstalktrio, L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O, at gmail.com. 
I'd like to take a second to thank our podcast sponsors, Angelica Villalpando and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued patronage of the podcast. You too can be a sponsor. You can head over to Kickstarter, look for our Kickstarter page, and donate any dollar amount. This is a one-time donation. Or you can go over to Patreon and sponsor us monthly. We have our basic membership at, set at a dollar, a dollar a month, or up to $50 a month. For corporate sponsors, we're looking at our corporate section at the bottom of the page for our $100 a month. For corporate sponsors, we will run your ad on our podcast. The ad has to be about a minute and 30 seconds long, but we can weave it into our podcast. A huge thank you to the podcast team, Amelia Castañeda, our marketing manager, producer, and social media manager. John Russell, our editor, audio engineer, and music producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. Honorary members of Let's Talk Trio include Roderick Chambers, Scott Kendall, and Tony Ho. We thank you all so very much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode.